Evening, Dan. Evening, Omar. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you doing? All good. We've had a, a week or two off. I feel quite refreshed. Well, I say, I mean, it's always a sad event when we don't have a, a week when we're chatting, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like you're, you're readying yourself for the title running, aren't you? Well, uh, unfortunately, as Liverpool fans, we're not readying ourselves for anything right now, unfortunately, <laughs> but maybe that's uh, that's for another day. Well, it is interesting. I, I genuinely, at this time of season, when it looks like you're out the running for Europe, um, sometimes it can be better not to be in Europe. Like, you look at, um, I remember the year, I think it was 16-17 season, where both Liverpool and Chelsea did quite well, given where they were. Um, and they were both not in Europe that year, and it was kind of seen as a big boon. Um, Arsenal, I suppose Arsenal have been in Europe this year, but, but in other years, I think it's been credited as it's been successful for them. Anyway, but you know, I'm trying to find a silver lining, I suppose, in, in all the uh, in all the potentially not competing in Europe next year. Well, I think it's a fewer games thing, isn't it? Probably in truth, over a particular yeah. period of time, Liverpool. I think someone was saying 63 games last season. You know, another clubs a lot less for different competition, cup runs, and the rest of it. And you can you can pretty much tell it's taken its toll to a degree. And I think that's the that would be the fascinating thing from you know that putting you on the spot, Omar, for another day, which would be, you know, how um, impactful a previous season's number of games as mm-hmm. to an indicator for success in the season afterwards. Bearing in mind controlling yeah. things like squad size, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, not looked at it before, but it'd be certainly one. To, to look at we, I mean we looked at the number of games and impact on injuries and rotation um, but not kind of consecutive seasons so yeah we'll put that on the on the very long um, to-do list of, of things to analyse um, but otherwise today I think we're going to have a bit of a a Dan special uh, in terms of walking us through some of the some of the big new regulations as it relates to owners and directors tests as well as um, the intermediary figures that are published and when we were chatting beforehand there was a few things that were, that were I thought really, really interesting, particularly as it relates to the agents' fees piece. But should we start with the owners and directors' tests? Um, a bit of, I guess, a bit of context around why this has been updated. You know, I think what did it always, I forget what it used to always be called, um, the owners' yeah. test, but, but it's obviously you know, re, re, rebranded and, and, and everything like that. So give us a bit of context around it. Yeah, now. so it used to be the fit and proper persons' test um, that then was morphed into the, the owners' and directors' test. And um, yeah, I mean, I think there were loads of great topics we could have spoken on over um, the last couple of weeks, but this has just sort of come up and sort of fits into the wheelhouse, I think, on a number of um, a number of sort of interrelated areas. You know, we speak a lot about um, takeovers around, um, you know, controversies on the owners and directors test, how you can be an owner and director, what declarations you have to sign, you know, what due diligence you have to, to, does the Premier League or the EFL have to undertake? And then how does a sort of takeover happen? And, you know, this and obviously the the white paper related uh, matters that have come on over the last few weeks to do with owners and directors tests, to do with the sustainability of clubs, to do with the, again, the due diligence and checking process by which um, a club can be taken over or someone can have control. All of these things come into the mix. And to be fair, you know, maybe it says a lot about me as um, a regulatory lawyer, but this is actually really exciting um, and interesting, um, you know, development in a number of ways, because the Premier League has quite significantly strengthened its owners and directors test now. And I think the headline is um, sort of Sky Sports and The Athletic and others reported it was that um, 
everyone was concerned, I guess, off the back of the Saudi takeover of Newcastle and other potential nation states taking over um, particular clubs was uh, the human rights record of particular countries or sovereign territories. And that is now, um, at least on the human rights abuse side, one of the additional disqualifying events that is actually um, uh, coming along under a beefed up um, uh, enhanced owners, Premier League owners and directors test. And so the, the blurb more or less is that, um, you know, individuals found to have committed human rights abuses uh, will be unable to be an owner or director of a Premier League club under the new rules. Um, and one of those um, disqualifying events based on, I'm just reading it now, the, hu- the global human rights sanctions regulations of 2020 is one of the new additional, uh, again, disqualifying events. And that would block people from becoming directors who, are, again, are under investigation for conduct that would result in a um, disqualifying event as well. So, the first bit to note now is um, human rights abuses now come with under um, a disqualifying event. That is either a gateway provision, which is when they're looking to actually um, uh, take over or um, have to sign a declaration because they're going to be a director or have control of a particular club um, or as an ongoing effective obligation. And the other interesting element, which presumably is in direct correlation to the Abramovich sanction related uh, matters, is that um, a person or a company who's subject to government sanctions is now a disqualifying event. So that's the second bit, which is um, uh, government sanctions now fall within the owners and directors test. And now there's also an additional set of criminal offences that could result in disqualification. And they've been extended to include violence, corruption, um, fraud, tax evasion, hate crimes, etc., etc. So whereas before the list was actually quite narrow, it's actually been strengthened and enhanced quite considerably um, to take into account um, those new particular disqualifying events. Now, the the interesting thing about that, just very briefly, is um, you know when I looked at the Premier League website, they, the Premier League have said that these measures have been implemented immediately. That might be the case, but at the moment, the Premier League handbook, at least a publicly facing Premier League handbook, actually hasn't been updated on the website. So I can't see the specific regulations themselves, but no doubt that that has been circulated to the Premier League clubs and will be borne in mind with um, each particular owner or controller in the, um, in the coming weeks and months and years. Yeah, the Premier League handbook is the uh, the go to bible of uh, all things Premier League regulations. It's uh, I can imagine you devouring that, Dan, once it's updated. Um, question on um, the when you said that there's obviously now disqualifying events for existing owners. Is there is any detail on what the pro- would it look very similar to the process that we saw with Abramovich if you know a, an existing owner kind of had a disqualifying event? Well, you see, that's the interesting element. I think is. I can only speak from experience from a while back is that there used to be in the owners and directors test, which was um, effectively a declaration that any director, owner, controller of a Premier League club had to sign in order to demonstrate that they were fit and proper to a degree, is that when new regulations and, com- and compliance procedures came in, there was always a query over whether incumbent owners or directors would still be subject to newer regulations Now, some people thought that that actually then would be difficult because you couldn't then necessarily post facto impose 
um, uh, regulations that then would possibly put some individuals in breach, whereas those regulations weren't in place at the time that the owner or director would have then bought that club. Now, the, the query will be is whether any, uh, you know, club individual entity now might be subject to um, a disqualifying event, bearing in mind the new implementation of those regulations. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um at the moment, but it would seem pretty harsh um, if that was necessarily to be the case, because you play by the rules of the game, then the rules get updated. And then, you know, what what can you do about it if then you have been, you know, charged or if you're under government sanction or if you, um, you know, have been involved in a particular type of event that was fine beforehand, but obviously isn't fine now? Yeah, it'd almost be... Like, I mean, I, I think of something I've been involved in closely, which is the GBE, the work permit regulations around players. It'd almost be like um, kicking out a player because they don't hit the reg- what the regulations are, of which there would be quite a few. Um, you know, players like even someone like Alexis McAllister at, at Brighton, you know, didn't um, you know meet what the GBE criteria would be. Um, Gabriel Martinelli and, and others as well. So, um, yeah, difficult to kind of post post fit um, some of those regs. Uh, I kind of wanted to ask, um, and you may may not be able to answer this, but out of interest, how do these processes around regulations, it doesn't have to be necessarily this specific one, but more generally these regulations in sport, how, how do they actually get made? How do they actually get decided? Like what what's the process? Is there consultations? How do lawyers get involved? How, how do big organisations like the Premier League actually make the sausage of, of regulations over a period of time. That's what we should definitely call this uh, podcast, I think, uh, the sausage of regulations. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, from my experience of, of working with some clubs in the past, um, what will tend to happen, obviously, there will be definitely a consultation period with the clubs. Because remember, let's just go back to basics and first principles. The club is a private membership organisation, really, to a degree. So what we are effectively saying is that the... The, the Premier League clubs, um, you know, are members of a private organisation to a degree that then has a constitution that has to be followed in particular instances. And the constitution will effectively say, you know, what has to take place in order for rules to change and what majority is required um, and how you go about consulting in order to get the necessary votes at a necessary set of meetings in order for that to happen. So I'd have thought in the past six to nine months, there will have been circulars explaining the detail of the, any potential change. Um, there will have been meetings um, and sub-meetings and sub-committees explaining to particular chief executives, chairmen, owners and directors of how things would um, be put in place and practically how it would potentially impact um, certain clubs or otherwise. And then at the right time, maybe with the chief executive knowing which clubs are going to be voting in the right direction to put the motion and proposition forward and then for the clubs to be able to vote and i believe i'll probably just need to double check but i believe it probably would be a a 14 out of 20 um requirement as per uh particular elements but uh there might be different majorities for certain decisions i just need to double check on but that would be the usually the process of how things would work um and and just very briefly there's a couple of other i think interesting bits in the um in the update at least which is um the Premier League now are suggesting two things. One, that um, the league will actually publish, and it's never happened before, names of individuals or companies who actually have been disqualified under the owners and directors test or who haven't, who are actually subject to disqualifying event and wouldn't be allowed in through the gateway in the first place. So whereas before, I remember 
Richard Scudamore and others had always said, actually, the owners and directors test works really well because actually it stopped loads of um, potential owners coming in that we'd think are unscrupulous and wouldn't necessarily be fit for fit for purpose for the Premier League. Well, now it looks like this is going to be the first time where it might well be the case that the Premier League um, effectively create an annual compliance report explaining if there were particular instances where particular owners or individuals themselves weren't able to actually pass the uh, the owners and directors test. Yeah, very, very interesting. And I think I, I think most people would welcome that level of transparency. Um, one, one question around, obviously, you know, discussion around the white paper, uh, government white paper on, on football and independent regulators. Like how much is this all tied up together or how much is this kind of independent from each other? Well, it's a great one. Um, I mean, there was obviously talk in the white paper, and we've talked about it previously, around different levels of um, foundation regulation and whether an owners and directors test that will be implemented by a regulator uh, will be in addition to the, the the fundamentals of membership of a particular league or set of leagues or otherwise. But, you know, this is definitely a substantive, um, you know, upgrade. The query is how much overlap will actually be the case, how much interaction the Premier League might have with a potential independent regulator and how it might go in practice. But, you know, there's definitely going to be overlap to some degree. I think the white paper, especially on these type of matters, was keen to sort of stress a sort of collaborative approach in all of this. Um, but ultimately, you want some type of consistency and you don't want too much deviation from um, what, you know, different regulators might require from club owners in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, just finally on, on this, um, am I right in saying that the regs now cover CEOs for the first time. Um, is that a new development or am I making Yeah, that no, you're exactly right. Um, I just wasn't sure anyone wanted any more detail on the owners and directors tested. <laughs> no, I was going to But yeah, it's exactly right. Well, there's, there's two things that's actually happened here. The first is that the definition of control um, under the uh, Premier League regulations has actually been lowered to 25% from 30%. So that actually means that more individuals um, who have shareholdings of 25% or more may need to then um, fall into the owners and directors test declaration. But also chief executives are now brought within the ODT's scope. So uh, uh, so chief executives will now have to sign up to the owners and directors test, which means, you know, they, they have, you know, a, um, a degree of control, obviously, and influence over the day to day running of the club. So it would seem relatively, relatively standard that they should be ones upholding the same types of um, standards and declarations as uh, as the owners and controllers of clubs. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and, and I mean, it is worth pointing out that CEOs at Premier League club, there's there's quite a big variance in terms of the roles that, that CEOs fulfil actually at, at Premier League club. Some are very commercial, some are cross sporting, some um, have you know, um, yeah, some some are across both. But uh, yeah, there's obviously like a, 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 I guess a bit more of an emphasis in the in the new regs. Um, should we move on to um, to agents' fees, intermediary fees, and obviously they were published um, the other day, so always some big numbers but i think again as always from you it's interesting to get the context behind some of those numbers yeah absolutely and look i i did a a short tweet the other day with a few um a few brief insights and i'm sure you can take um everyone through the sort of numbers i think city were up at 51 million pounds if i remember correctly for the calendar period from um january last year to january this year which is obviously 
um, a, a really large number, and the amount obviously um, combined in aggregate is um, is really significant. But I think what I wanted to sort of get across more generally is um, obviously this point around how agents are paid. And I know we've talked about it previously, and we won't bang on about it too much. But you know, the the way that agents are paid are uh, generally the clubs pay on the players' behalf. So, if in some um, parallel universe, actually um, players paid their agent, and we're going to talk about that actually in a second, but let's just say right now that's the case, um, then effectively you know, these numbers wouldn't be anywhere near as significant because, uh, and I don't think anyone will really be too fussed in truth if what actually happened on a day-to-day basis was, you know, millionaire players paying their agents a proportion of their um, salaries. Um, And I think the controversy usually stems from the position that, you know, accepted industry practice is that clubs pay players' agents on uh, the players' behalf. And therefore, it looks like a large amount of money is going out of the game. That's the the general approach. And that's actually the issue that FIFA suggests is the case why um, their um, proposal for commission caps, and we can talk about that in a second, is coming more into force. Now, I remember um, I had a rather iconic, what I would call an iconic um, Twitter spat with Didi Haman on uh, on Twitter about a couple of years ago, him saying how disgraceful it was that, you know, so much money was going out of the game to agents. And I sort of played a bit of devil's advocate and just said, well, um, a lot of people would think it would be disgraceful how much is going out to managers or to chief executives or to directors or to chairman or to owners by way of dividends. But nobody sees that as money necessarily going out of the game to the same extent. So, um, you know, without being too deliberately provocative, um, I just almost wanted to sort of separate that out, which is a lot of the time and granted, yep, um, I do have a um, a sort of position where I do work with a lot of agents. I think it's, you know, sometimes a little bit artificial just to say it's only agents commissions that are taking money out the game and everybody else is doing it for the good of the game. So um, there's always that slight nuance, I think. Yeah, so so walk us through... Um, you know, th- obviously, this period that we spoke about from February 22 to January 23, 318 million paid by Premier League clubs um, to, to agents. We said 51 to Man City. Talk us through like a typical deal. So, I don't know, um, I guess Cody Gakpo would have fallen um, under that period. How how does it work? So, Liverpool would be paying Cody Gakpo's agent um, a, a sum of money to, to kind of facilitate the transaction. How, do, how does that work in the past and, and what does that look like? Um, if that same deal was to happen in, in January 2024. Yeah. So, uh, well, the interesting thing is, is that that type of deal now wouldn't be able to happen in January 2024 because of the, the new FIFA regs that we can talk about just very briefly afterwards. Um, but what would tend to happen is Cody Gakpo's agent would be paid, uh, let's, you know, a very typical number, which would be 50% um, on behalf um, of the player for player services by the club by Liverpool and 50% for example based on club services by the club as well so the club pays everything but let's say a proportion will be paid um, to the player's agent on the player's behalf and a proportion would be paid 
by uh, the club to the player's agent for uh, services rendered to the club. Now, there was a, a actually a recent Panorama BBC interview, um, BBC documentary talking about this type of supposed controversy. Um, but usually this 50-50 split um, is, uh, has at least nominally been, at least supposedly been agreed to by HMRC a number of years ago, even though they're debating whether that was actually uh, or necessarily the case. Now, the reason why I give you that, just a little, tiny bit of background, is the new FIFA regulations, which are coming into force substantively from the 1st of October of this year, are now saying two things which are very important. The first is that um, an agent's commission is going to be capped at, uh, without going into the nuances, generally if your player is acting, if an agent is acting for the player in the buying club, 6% of the player's basic annual gross remuneration. So 6% cap. And sometimes that can be, you know, that amount can be sometimes up to 10%, for example. So that could be a significant um, reduction. The other element which we can talk about as well is what FIFA are now saying is for the player services element, so for the first 50% that we talked about on the GACPO example, now it will be the player that has to pay his or her agent directly. So the club can no longer do that. So if we take this example now of the, the fees um, that were published last week, I believe, um, some would argue then that if those fees are then published this time next year, uh, depending on the way that the market works over the next period of time, if 50% of the agency commission now has to be paid by the player out of their net salary rather than the club to the agent, then there's going to be a whole new set of um, figures which will almost certainly mean quite a significant decrease decrease in uh, the amount that clubs will be paying agents. But depending on the negotiation position of the, the agent and the player, it might actually lead to quite a significant increase in the player wages in order that the club pays a gross amount to cover what the net payment by the player to the agent might need to be. So I'm sorry if I haven't yeah, so this, everybody. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So this, this is going to be my question. So I guess the, the rationale at the moment of the club paying the total agent's fee, uh, uh, you know, one on be half on behalf of the club, half on behalf of the player, is that that part on behalf of the player is in effect money that would have gone to the player anyway, that then would have gone to the agent. So the argument, am I right in saying, is that the club was kind of cutting out the middleman, i.e. the player in this instance. Um, but now going forward, the, the as you say, the, the club might need to remunerate the player a bit more such that the player can then pass on that, that cost to the agent is is that a fair representation correct and i think the thing you know I, i'm a little bit surprised that national player associations aren't looking at this in more detail because i actually think at the top end of the market you know if you are an agent with um, a strong negotiating position then you'll be able to cover that effectively net payment to the agent by getting a bigger you know loyalty bonus or signing on bonus or particular bonuses over the length of the contract but if you are a bog standard player or a lower league player for example you're probably not going to get those bonuses covered which means you're probably as a player going to be out of pocket because you're going to have to pay your agent a, a decent proportion of the commission out of your net salary um, and I think that's probably something that hasn't quite been looked at in as in as much detail and will almost certainly make the players potentially worse off as a result.
Yeah, really interesting. And maybe we can spend a bit more time um, going into a later date on on some of these unintended consequences or or how we think some of these mechanisms um, will play out. Because I guess guess one of the challenges, and and you'd have seen this, players won't be that aware of these regulations, if at all. So it's it's ultimately, and I know you're doing a load of work on on trying to get agents up to speed on this. Um, Yeah, I'm just kind of curious how you think the, the player players will react and what that might do to player agent relations, um, you know, and, and the way that those relationships work over the coming years. Difficult is the truth, because I think one of the things that, um, as you and I know both, that's happened in the past is when, you know, an agent is uh, speaking to a player about a deal that's happening, the agent will say, or at least the very good agents will say, look, um, you know, we've got a rep contract, but as you know, the, the club is going to pay um, a portion on your behalf and that portion is a taxable benefit so you might have to pay some tax on it but we are going to pay the club are going to pay your agent directly for the player services and then also for the club services now um, after the new FIFA regulations come into play um, and query there's a few moving parts to all of that as we previously talked about what effectively will be the case is that the agent will have to say to the player look based on the new FIFA regulations, you've got to pay me out of your net salary now, quarterly. So either what's going to happen is at best instance and at best practice, the agent will have an agreement with the club that there is some type of deduction out of the player's PAYE um, quarterly that then means it goes direct to the agent. But worst case scenario, the agent has to invoice the player on a quarterly basis and then the player to actually make the payment out of their own bank account to the agent. Now, I know that this is quite a usual occurrence in the US, but this is a very foreign um, new process that a lot of players will not have any idea about and will probably be a little bit dumbfounded um, in the coming months when these new regulations come into effect. And so, you know, I think there's definitely going to be quite a steep learning curve for the industry and for players and you know what ultimately will happen is there will just be tons of agents that will be caught between a rock and a hard place which is um you know player hasn't paid me uh, after i've provided two or three invoices for the agency services on the player side i'm getting paid by the club on the club side but you know what do i do do i really want to enforce um you know the the commission payment on the player what happens if i want him, him or her to sign a new rep contract in the next three months that puts me in a difficult position you know all of that type of stuff will feed into the the bargaining position of not wanting to sue the player but possibly be you know owed hundreds of thousands of pounds based on the the player paying principle that's now going to be coming into effect yeah fascinating um and yeah, also beginning to think of these cases where players aren't necessarily being paid on time. I'm sure you know agents aren't getting paid on time as well by clubs in some cases. But um, yeah, that that yeah, I imagine yeah, that there's a there's a big uh, tidal wave of, of stories on that coming as as per the new recs. Um, out of interest, is this um, is this a scenario where where clubs pay? on behalf of the player and the club, is it just something in England and the UK or is this something that happens across global football? It happens in a, um, yeah, a lot of jurisdictions and it's tended to be, as we talked about previously, in a lot of jurisdictions, and I can't speak for too many others, but from speaking to the tax and um, accountancy guys, um, that, you know, unfortunately in the UK, um, 
commission payable by a player to their agent is not a deductible tax expense. So if it's not a deductible tax expense, then over the years, there have been these other ways to try and find ways ultimately to be able to, I guess, reduce um, a player's um, you know, tax burden to a degree. And one of the ways that people have seen this done uh, to some extent is for, you know, it's equivalent to, you know, employees getting um, uh, private medical insurance or, you know, um, pri- uh, you know, um, um, you know, um, a business car or whatever else it might be, is that there will still be a taxable benefit to the employee. And that's the same way that payment by a club to the player's agent, again, is a taxable benefit. So, you know, unfortunately, at the moment, in a lot of particular markets, um, it's not a taxable deduction. In the opposite way, in the US, it is a taxable deduction. So it's a more straightforward process to actually incur. Now, without turning uh, the podcast into um, you know, a tax session, and we can definitely do that another time, although I think we'll even have any lo- less, um, less <laughs> listeners. I think um, you know, uh, agents and players are going to have to have a bit of a steep learning curve over the next few months just to make sure that they know what the the consequences of new deals um, coming into the market and these new regulations, which appear to be in place now, again, very quickly. You know, there seem to be quite a lot of legal challenges by different agents to the new regulations around the commission cap, around player paying, around guaranteed payments, around, you know, publication of, um, you know, particular amounts as well. Because one of the other real, real controversial areas, as you know, Omar, is... Um, the, the FIFA regs effectively saying we will publish all amounts um, of transactions on an individualized basis, um, which, you know, I think there could be some significant sort of data protection and privacy issues to do with that. And if that's the case, you know, um, you know, a lot of people are going to know a lot of pe- a lot of, um, you know, amounts that, um, you know, agents have uh, potentially made over particular deals and whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. Um, that's a whole new level of transparency for sure. Well, you've, you've genuinely made a, a really, what could have been a very dry topic, genuinely really interesting. I, I think, um, you know, at the heart of the football industry, I mean, it seems like a stupid thing to say, but the heart of the football industry is the players and, and the players move around and have careers in part because of their agents. So I think this is going to be something that we, we definitely come back to. It's really, really interesting and I appreciate Appreciate your thoughts on it, on it as always, Dan. Thanks, Paul. Well, uh, it makes a change. It's it's nice. I feel like I can contribute sometimes to these sessions. But uh, yeah, I'm really glad that um, yeah, there's some good questions by you. So appreciate that, and um, looking forward to getting back to normal and you giving a bit more insight because that's where the interesting stuff is, really. <laughs> well, you you bring the facts and opinion. I just bring opinion. So there we go. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the done deal football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book done deal an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally and via audible all links are in the podcast show notes Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. 
you can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.